The Air Force has formed a pilot training headquarters in Kaohsiung. The new unit will take over all pilot training duties, which were previously managed by the 7th Flight Training Wing. The shift comes amid big changes to the military's fleet composition, with the introduction of Brave Eagles and upgraded F-16s. Three Brave Eagle jet trainers soar above the Air Force Academy. They are followed by three 83 Ziqiangs, the mainstay of pilot training in Taiwan. The air show marked the inauguration of the Air Force's new pilot training command. The command was officially formed on December 1st and is based at the Air Force Academy in Kaohsiung's Gangshan base. It will become an important hub for pilot training. President Tsai Ing-wen attended the inauguration ceremony and reviewed the three trainer models currently in use, the T-34. C, the AT-3, and the Brave Eagle. In the future, Air Force Academy graduates can proceed to the pilot training command and then quickly begin careers as combat pilots. In the face of complex geopolitical changes, our pilots have a strong sense of mission to defend our country. The pilot training command and the Air Force Academy are both headquartered at Gangshan Base. I hope the two units will help each other enhance training. Previously, the Air Force's 7th Flight Training Wing was in charge of training, but with the arrival of Brave Eagle jet trainers, upgraded F-16s, and new F-16Vs purchased from the U.S., the wing is transitioning to focus on combat missions. Training will be managed fully by the Pilot Training Command. Instead of training them on three aircraft models, we will just use two. The trainees will have one fewer model in their training, accelerating the program. They can more quickly master the main aircraft models and learn all the combat techniques and flight skills. Instructors will be trained so that they can teach both units. They will all be qualified in that respect. For one thing, this allows greater flexibility in instructor deployment. For another, this improves the training of the instructors themselves. The old F-5Es and AT-3s will soon be decommissioned, and starting next year, Taiwan will receive its first F-16Vs purchased from the U.S. With more Brave Eagle jet trainers in the pipeline, Taiwan's Air Force is marking the start of a new chapter. DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde is getting set to launch his national campaign headquarters, which will double as his Taipei campaign headquarters. It will be inaugurated this Sunday at a rally with all the party's top figures. President Tsai Ing-wen, Premier Chen Jianren, and former Premier Su Zhenchang are expected to attend in a show of solidarity for the DPP candidate. We've seen a rival stage a farce of a global scale. It was a showcase of mutual distrust that cut a stark contrast to a vision of trusting in Taiwan. President Tsai Ing-wen has laid out four directions, and she's been very clear about taking Taiwan down a safe path. Presidential candidate Lai Qingde has also emphasized again and again that peace is the only option. Recently, Hou Youyi proposed allowing a significant number of Chinese students to work in Taiwan. Overnight, this issue has catapulted the invisible Hou Youyi into the radar of our young people. The displeased, furious, and baffled as to why Hou Youyi would want to create problems for Taiwan's younger generation. On December 3rd, the kind-hearted people of Taiwan will stand up. The youth of Taiwan will stand up. The rally will feature the use of augmented reality technology. 
Fly AR will be used to project campaign slogans onto the space. There will also be a larger-than-life AR billboard starring the DPP's presidential and VP candidates. The world is racing to go net zero by 2050. As the U.S., Europe and Japan adopt new technologies to enhance power stability and cut carbon emissions, Taiwan is not far behind. On Friday, the National Science and Technology Council, the Taiwan Power and Energy Engineering Association and the Taiwan Power Electronics Association kicked off a two-day symposium to showcase industry innovation and explore the future of sustainable energy. The power sector is set to become the new blue ocean market. Another reason I'm here today is to recruit new employees. Wearing the company jacket, Thai Power Chair and Deputy Economics Chief Zeng Wenshen attended the power sector's big annual symposium. On stage, he transformed into Professor Zeng, giving a lecture on energy's high-tech revolution. He urged talent to join Thai Power's digital transition. In the future, we'll need to develop more smart power infrastructure. This will become a very, very important driver of GDP growth and economic development. Industry, government and academia have converged at National Taipei University of Technology for a two-day event on electrical power engineering and power electronics. The event also features a showcase of industry innovation. Topics on the agenda include resource integration, loading order, and ways to enhance the sector's independent regulation. The event's goal is to improve Taiwan's power stability and progress toward carbon reduction targets. Speaking on the sidelines, Vice Premier Zheng Wenzhen said the government was sparing no effort to promote green energy. Regarding smart grid development, we're continuing to make progress and we're becoming able to integrate more green energy. As for solar power and wind power, they're both coming along quite well. For instance, through initiatives like the Power School or through various scholarships or memorial awards, we're encouraging more non-power industry talent to enter the field. I think that this is a very important step toward achieving a high-tech revolution for the power sector. The talent required is not just talent in the power, information and communications technology or networking sectors. What we need now is interdisciplinary learning. E-Tree President Edwin Liu emphasized that, to meet carbon reduction targets, the power sector needs to integrate resources, utilize distributed energy systems and virtual power plants, and proactively cultivate interdisciplinary talent in the context of Taiwan's energy transition. On the first day of the symposium, awards were presented to outstanding industry talent and scholars in hopes that they'll continue to shine in the power sector. U.S. President Joe Biden will not be attending the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP28. But U.S. diplomats will be there, interested in getting access to the critical mineral exports necessary to transition to green energy. Voice of America's Jessica Stone reports. When you drive a Tesla, the world's largest producer of electric vehicles, you're riding on a battery powered by critical minerals. Lithium from Chile, cobalt from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and nickel from Indonesia. 
Currently, China dominates the market for the extraction and refining of these critical green energy battery components. But in November, Indonesian President Joko Widodo told business leaders that Jakarta wants to become an alternative partner of choice. As home to the largest nickel reserves in the world and other critical minerals, Indonesia is in the process of building an EV-integrated ecosystem and aims to produce 600,000 electric cars by 2030. Bakri Group CEO Anandia Novian Bakri wants to take advantage of that pledge. He's pivoting his family's traditional Indonesian energy mining company into a renewable mining company that can also exploit the growing demand for a non-Chinese critical mineral supply chain. We want to focus not only to the east, to the west, and there is not only market, but also enthusiasm, capital and technology. So that's a good thing. Indonesian mines are already partnering with Chinese refineries to process their minerals. Bakri says Jakarta needs support from Washington to compete. In November, Widodo met with U.S. President Joe Biden to negotiate a critical minerals trade agreement that makes Indonesia eligible for U.S. subsidies under the Inflation Reduction Act. But Southeast Asia expert Greg Poling says there's a long road ahead to approval. Members of both parties on the Hill have been clear that any future agreement with Indonesia or other major uh, mineral suppliers has to involve a lot of progress on labor and environmental standards mm -hmm. and may have to involve some kind of separation of the supply chain to make sure that Chinese companies working in those countries can't find back doors to sell uh, and qualify for IRA subsidies. In the meantime, Jakarta is making progress on reducing Beijing's dominance and refining critical minerals. In 2020, it banned the export of nickel ore. And Indonesian law requires companies which mine to also refine domestically. Jessica Stone, VOA News, Washington. KMT presidential candidate Ho Yi is making waves with his plan to let in more Chinese citizens. Ho said that if elected, he will allow, quote, a significant number of Chinese to study and work in Taiwan. Shortly after the proposal came out, analysts began to censure it. It feels unclear whether Ho Yi is running for president of Taiwan or China. He wants to open the door to a large number of unemployed Chinese students directly affecting Taiwanese youth. Economies around the world are seeking to desinicize, to decouple from China. Yet the KMT is rushing to link up with China. This runs completely counter to the global trend. Foreign funds are fleeing China at an astonishing rate. China's economy is not doing well, and the world has lost confidence in China's economy. In the past, many people invested heavily in Chinese stocks, but those stocks are now being sold off in droves. Foreign firms are shifting investments out of China despite Beijing's efforts to boost confidence. China's rich have also been moving their cash out of the country amid uncertainties about the political and economic future. Taiwan experts call for a strategy of, quote, decoupling from China, a steady reduction of economic interdependence. The Taiwan CDC is moving to ease fears about mycoplasma, Pneumonia, which is driving a surge of illness in China. At a government press event, a doctor said that in most cases, mycoplasma infections cause conditions like bronchitis, which tend to resolve themselves without antibiotics. He also gave tips on how to recognize severe infections that warrant medical attention.
respiratory disease season is in full swing and patients are flocking to clinics. There are fears that China's mycoplasma pneumonia epidemic will cross over to Taiwan. At a Friday press event, the Taiwan CDC said that if children show certain symptoms, parents should seek medical attention immediately. The most concerning conditions are pneumonia and encephalitis. Those are the main things to watch out for in pediatric patients. If a child has shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, if the skin is turning black, or if they have chest pain or altered consciousness, if any of these symptoms manifest, it's time to go to the hospital. Mycoplasma pneumonia has captured global attention. At Friday's press event, Chang'an Memorial Hospital Dr. Huang Yuchen presented the latest data on respiratory diseases in Taiwan. Over the past four weeks, 32% of respiratory cases involved the flu. 26% was adenovirus and 14% involved the parainfluenza virus. Other cases involved respiratory syncytial virus and COVID. Meanwhile, mycoplasma infections accounted for less than 1% of cases, indicating low prevalence. Even so, public panic has grown, prompting reports of an antibiotic shortage. Mycoplasma typically presents as an upper respiratory tract infection, such as pharyngitis, tracheitis, and bronchitis. Some cases don't require treatment. It's just like a viral infection. You can treat the symptoms and the condition will gradually resolve itself. There's no need to get antibiotics because it'll get better on its own. That's something I want to underscore. To prevent mycoplasma from entering Taiwan from abroad, the Taiwan CDC has set up checkpoints for arrivals from China, Hong Kong and Macau at four international airports in Taiwan. Travelers with symptoms can voluntarily get tested upon arrival for 17 viruses and four bacteria. There are 11 tests that are still being processed, but so far no tests have come back positive for mycoplasma, which is what everyone is concerned about. Data from China shows that the mycoplasma epidemic is on a decline. Now it's mostly seasonal flu. In the first four days of the testing program, 38 samples were collected. 13 came back positive for seasonal flu and three for COVID. The Taiwan CDC says that the best way to stay healthy is still to get vaccinated, wash your hands frequently, and mask up. Christmas is coming, and the poinsettia has descended on flower markets. The bright red plant is traditionally associated with the Christian festival because of its lush hues. But it now comes in many different colors. Flower sellers saw a bumper year for poinsettia sales in 2022 and hope to do even better this winter. A red and green poinsettia brings a touch of Christmas sparkle to a room. But they're not all red. The pearly white has a pinky glow, the yellow beauty lives up to its name, and the starred diamond has flecks of white. All are photogenic. I like the basic color, the red, but the whites are also very pretty this year. I think sales are strong. It started already, quite early. Last year, our sales broke a 20 or 30 year record. I think they'll keep growing this year because we're always promoting them. I think they'll easily grow 10 or 20 percent. Profits should get better and better. This year, supplies of poinsettia are about 1.129 million, 7,000 more than last year. But costs have risen, so the wholesale price of a 3-inch pot is 50 to 150 NT, whereas a 5-inch pot is 120 to 200 NT. It's because of the pandemic and wages, all our wages have risen, as well as the cost of materials. Even soil is more expensive, so the prices have risen a little. 
all at about 10%. Christmas is just around the corner, and if you'd like to bring a little festive cheer into your home, the flower market could be the place to look. Taipei Dome will host its first baseball game this Sunday, featuring Taiwan and South Korea battling it out in the Asian Baseball Championship. All 17,000 tickets to the game had sold out fast. Taiwanese singer Jeannie Shi will star in the pregame show, becoming the very first performer to grace the Taipei Dome stage. One day before, on Saturday, Japanese baseball legend Sada Halu Oh, aka Osang, will throw the historic first pitch at the stadium. Looking dapper in a suit, he steps into the arrivals hall at Taipei Songshan Airport. It's baseball legend Sadaharu Oh, who's been invited to throw the first pitch at the Asian Baseball Championship. The 83-year-old had a recurrence of stomach cancer last year and was advised not to leave his native Japan. But he insisted on making the trip for Taiwan. I didn't expect so many people to come and welcome me. All your warmth makes me extremely happy. I'm in my 80s now. My body is doing all right. He's here for Taiwan. He's put his health on the line to cheer Taiwan on. Welcome, Sadaharu Oh. Taiwan welcomes you. Oh hit 868 home runs during his professional career and holds the world lifetime home run record. He's visited Taiwan twice in the past and witnessed key milestones in Taiwan baseball. After 32 years of planning and construction, the Taipei Dome will finally host its first baseball game this Sunday. The day before, Oh will toss the historic first pitch at the stadium. Fans say it will be one for the books. Back in the day, there were no TV broadcasts of games, so we formed a Sadaharu O club to go watch games in Tokyo. To have the internationally acclaimed home run king throw the first pitch is a major reflection of the friendship between Taiwan and Japan. It is a moment to remember. The first game will be a showdown between Taiwan and South Korea, featuring a pre-game performance by Jeannie Xie. Xie will be the first artist to perform at Taipei Dome. Tickets for the inaugural game were released in three rounds, and all 17,000 tickets sold out fast. With baseball fans flocking to Taipei, nearby hotels are expecting big profits. We're actually fully booked. Besides Taiwanese fans who are very enthusiastic about the game, we also have bookings from travel companies. There are groups of people coming from abroad to watch the Asian Baseball Championship. Even before Taiwan's team arrives, fans are staked out at the hotel where their idols will be staying. They've got thundersticks, jerseys, caps and towels at the ready to give their all in cheering for Taiwan. Today, we take you to meet a couple who founded a garden dessert shop. The store is located in a historical building in Taipei and is adorned with beautiful foliage plants. Visitors can order European desserts and enjoy afternoon tea in their indoor garden. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang takes us in for a look. The cafe is adorned with all kinds of foliage plants and Christmas-themed flowers. There are also classic Christmas desserts such as fruitcake, snowball cookies and other European desserts to choose from. Some of the desserts are made with Taiwanese ingredients. At first glance, you might think you're at a European Christmas market. But this is actually a garden cafe opened by Shi Weijie and Wang Weiru. We do many um, desserts for celebrate Christmas, like uh, the Christmas fruit cake, like snowball cake uh, in 
in Europe, uh, this um, this type of uh, dessert is all celebrated for Christmas. So we would like uh, to share this um, uh, sweet dessert to everyone. Yeah. Uh, we build a garden because now in uh, Taiwan or some Asia have a uh, problem is too much the building. Tell the people you can maybe um, painting the indoor plant. Yes. The interplane is very special about the leaf. You can see the leaf maybe is very colorful. Before they created the Garden Cafe, she worked at Taizong's Cultural Heritage Department. Her husband, Wang, was a visual designer. He studied animation at University of the Arts London, Central St. Martins, while Xu studied museology at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. In 2020, due to COVID-19, the couple decided to come back to Taiwan. They were inspired to start their own brand after visiting the Kew Gardens in the UK. They spent two years collecting and researching foliage plants, learning to make desserts from friends in the UK, and conducting market research. By chance, we visited the Kew Garden in London, and I remember it's uh, the afternoon. Um, my, uh, my husband and I um, sit on the grass, and the sunshine is very warm. And uh, suddenly we think, oh, why we, um, yeah, we should um, maybe build a garden and we could uh, enjoy the atmosphere forever. The natural things like woods, like iron, like um, grace to decorate our um, garden. The duo hopes to provide patrons with a place to unwind from the busy city life while enjoying European desserts in a beautiful garden. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Liu Ti in Taipei.